Yeah, this is my life. I'm done trying to convince people I'm real. Sleep. Never retreat. Welcome to the Road to the Olympic Trials podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam. In this podcast, we dive into the training and racing of some of America's best marathoners as they prepare for the Olympic Trials in Atlanta in February and in this episode, we talked to Roberta Groner about her recent performance at the New York City Marathon and the five weeks she spent between the World Championships in Doha and New York. This is one that I couldn't wait to discuss with her because, as you may have heard in our last episode, boy, the World Championships were quite an endeavor for her. And this entire challenge was something that wasn't really you know, part of her 2019 goals and plans and things like that, but things really came to fruition in May, and then she took on the challenge, and she did wonderfully in New York. She was the fourth American woman. She crossed the line in 2.30.12. Just a wonderful, wonderful performance on a tough course, and here is my episode with Roberta. Roberta, you did it! Holy cow! <laughs> Yes, I did. It's done. <laughs> it's done. You, the, the double is done. Uh, what a remarkable thing. It, it truly is. I know we touched uh, on a little bit of this briefly in our pre-New York City primer that we did with all of the runners um, who were on our roster prior to the race. Um, that was just a quick 10 minutes. I cannot wait to talk to you more about all of these things. Um, I guess, first of all, we should just say you did very well. You were the fourth American woman at the New York City Marathon. You ran 2.30.12 at the race. Just an absolute wonderful performance. Before we get into the race specifically, let's talk about what happened after Doha and you know the, the, the recovery time that you had and what it was like in terms of re, you know, re, recovering from one race and then getting ready for another um, not just a race, but one of those hallmark races that, you know, is the can be the defining moment of someone's career. Yeah. So, I mean, after Doha, I took three days off from running. Um, I got back to running three days later. Um, the first week was pretty much just light jog, you know, running, no workouts, just getting my legs kind of uh, back used to running again. They were sore and tired. And then, so they gave us just about three weeks um, of you know, training per se, and then back to down to taper again. So in those three weeks, uh, Steve and I were able to back, we got my mileage back up to like eight between we did 80, 85, 90 mile weeks. And then we started to taper. So got a couple workouts in, but it wasn't like um, a normal buildup where you before a marathon where you're hitting those big, hard workouts uh, beforehand to feel confident, you know what I mean? Um, but you know, it was different. And it was a learning experience. And I said, I can say I survived it. <laughs> yes, you, sir. You, you thrived in it, in fact. And thinking back to that time, you know, post Doha, how much of the plan was day to day between you and Steve and how much of it was prescribed? And I say that in light of um, how much of this really needs to be individualized because it's not as if you're taking it um, from another part of your career of like, hey, this is my best practices for recovery or things like that. 
Yeah. So I feel like it wasn't, more, it wasn't day to day to day, but I mean, obviously if I was feeling um, like I had, I had some, I had a sore foot for a day or two um, that, you know, I talked talk to him about, but um, I really, it was really just him, I, me trusting him and him giving me the workouts, um, you know, it was a new territory for me, but um, I just, like I said, I put everything in his hands and uh, for the most part, and obviously if I wasn't feeling well, I would convey that to him, but we didn't have to change much of what, what he um, prescribed over those couple weeks. And what was it like for you doing your workouts during the kind of the, the, the traditional three week training period? And I say traditional in air quotes here, um, <laughs> yeah. of like, of that, of that, of that, you know, that period of time, which would look pretty similar to other parts of your training for other marathons. What was like the snappiness and crispness of your legs like, and how does, how do like those workouts compare to other times in your career, um, where you were preparing for a marathon? Uh, I can't say there was much snappy or crispiness in my legs. They were pretty tired. Um, it got better towards the end. You know, I was recovering, but um, I can't say there was one workout where I walked away saying, oh, I'm ready, you know. But it all, when I state that, I also go back and think that it got better each workout, if that makes sense, where it wasn't so tough you know, after the first week, the second week got better, the third week got better. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, like I said, it was different. It wasn't like these long, hard workouts, but they were still key workouts to get my legs. You know, it was more about getting some speed in the legs, I think. So, you know, we were doing some marathon pace stuff, but then we were trying to get a little bit faster intervals in towards the end, just to see if my legs had anything. So would you describe exactly what some of those workouts were in terms of the, the length and the pacing, the recovery between the sets? Yeah. Let me just think back. I remember my last workout, big workout was a 16, 17 mile workout. And in the middle of it, there was a two, three by three, two, three milers and one, two miler. And it was prescribed to go down from 545 to 540 ish to 530 pace. I actually, couldn't finish the workout. <laughs> I did well until the last two mile. And then my legs were, I just had to stop after a mile. So, but it was, you know, those types of workouts where it was marathon pace, but then working down a little bit faster. Um, and then we did a couple key, like, you know, the five by five minutes at like five twenty pace with minimal recovery of a minute or so. So those were like the types of workouts towards the end. Uh, and like I said, I, I have to, I think most athletes or we try to move forward. Yeah. I didn't hit the workout, but it didn't like, I didn't think, Oh no, I can't finish New York. It was just that day, that moment, it didn't happen. So moved on. <laughs> and when you, when you decide not to finish a workout, well, and you, we don't have to speak hypothetically here. You can just talk specifically about the one you just mentioned. Is it a matter of like, you simply cannot do it or is it a matter of, I'm going to have to dig way too hard to get this done. You know, thinking back, I was having some GI issues that day too. So it wasn't necessarily all legs. I tried and the new Martin gel that has the caffeine in it. It didn't agree with me. Um, so on combination of legs being tired and having some of those issues, it was just, there's no point to push another mile. Um, you know, nothing's going to change or I could be injured if I push and it's too much. So that's where I kind of weigh the line. I don't know. Um, everybody's different. I mean, there has been workouts where it's been, I can't go one step further versus like I said, this was maybe a little different because I was having tired legs and also some issues with GI. Right. All right. So how were you able to, or if you were able to keep a positive mindset 
um, in between these two marathons when there were periods where maybe you you know, your running wasn't quite as crisp as it had been in the past pre-marathon, um, or if you were, you know, doubting yourself or things like that, how were you able to try to keep as positive mindset as possible? And were there ever, ever moments where you were, were doubting yourself? No, I don't, well, I don't doubt. I didn't doubt myself. I felt that with a smart race plan, um, I would finish no matter what, uh, but I think, you know, we always talk about running. It's more mental than physical. And I think I just kept to a lot of my mantras of be anxious of nothing and grateful of all things, live in the moment and just go for it, you know, like, so yeah, I mean, I don't really recall doubting. I think after Doha and the experience and the extreme heat, I didn't fear anything, right? I mean, the worst thing that could happen is I have to drop out for some reason. But again, that happens to all of us. It's not like the end of the world, you just move on and you can chalk it up to, Hey, maybe it wasn't my best day or, um, maybe I can't do two marathons in five weeks. Who knows? So I just happened to be on the other end of it this time. And one of the big differences, well, I actually, I shouldn't say this. Every single thing about Doha <laughs> is like the opposite at New York. Besides the fact that they're both the exact same distance, right? Because yeah. you have this drastic, you know, weather, the people watching the course, the course themselves, all of these things. But when you were preparing for New York, and this is something, this is a place that you are familiar with, and you're a member of the, you know, you're, you know, in the New York running scene, and you're very, you know, this is this is basically like your home marathon, so to speak. Uh, when you were in that three week period and preparing, were you doing anything that was course specific in your workouts? Uh, I'm going to say no, not necessarily. I think because the legs were so tired at times that I kept it to relatively, when it came to a workout, relatively flat areas. Um, because again, I think a lot of it's mental. So if I wasn't hitting pace, maybe I would be questioning everything. Uh, so I didn't do race specific or, you know, because yes, New York is hilly or hilly. It's a rolling course. Um, but I also felt confident that I know the course and I do run central park a decent amount. Like maybe I didn't do so much this last five weeks, but and generally where I live, all my easy runs, I'm climbing 500, 600 feet. So I know I'm getting hills in just maybe not on a fast workout. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And especially when you get that natural, natural hilliness that comes with your, with your training runs that can really, you know, kind of set the stage, not only in terms of race prep, but just having that in your legs for the course of, you know, five to six years, it just becomes kind of the natural way of things. Correct. Yes. I want to take a quick break to talk about our sponsor inside tracker. Listen, when it comes to diet and nutrition, it seems like there are a million voices in the wilderness all just screaming out. It's hard to understand what to think about nearly any kind of food. And that's why personalized nutrition can be so helpful and valuable. And the key to doing that is getting your blood work done, seeing where you are on a biomarker scale, and you can optimize exactly what your body needs. And that's exactly what Inside Tracker does. They track up to 43 different biomarkers. They've optimized zones specifically designed for you. And also, they have science-backed recommendations for different ways where you can improve different markers and your levels. So give Inside Tracker a try. It's such a valuable resource. Listen, all the top athletes in the world, they get their blood work done and they have professionals taking a look at it to make sure that they're on the right path. Shouldn't you be able to do the same thing? 
So use code RAMBLINGRUNNER to save 10% on Inside Tracker today. All right, so let's talk about getting ready for the race itself. I know this isn't necessarily part of you know, your race day strategy, but again, you're an elite runner. You are in the area. What was the week of the marathon like for you in terms of your work schedule and then just the media demands that someone like you has to go through and also um, try to balance out as you get ready for the race? Yeah, so I did work the uh, first three days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Wednesday evening, I did head in, in into New York City. Um, and then I did have some media obligations on Thursday for a couple hours between like, let's say 10 and 1230. Um, and then Friday, I did a, pod, a live podcast with Lindsay Hine, which was fantastic. That was with Sarah Hall and Kellen Taylor. And then after that, it was pretty much downtime. It was relax um, as much as you can. But you, of course, I it's kind of like I said, a hometown marathon. So I have friends in and, you know, maybe want to meet you. And, uh, but I really do try to keep it very low key that Friday, Saturday going into the race. Um, I don't put a lot out of, of expectations or seeing anybody, you know, so, um, so that was kind of like my week. And then Saturday, I also, this, this time I, I did race for, um, autism speaks. So I did go to the luncheon on Saturday and did a little talk. They asked me to do a little talk. So we did take a couple hours out of the day, um, to do that on Saturday, but that was something that was near and dear to me. And, um, my good friend and I, um, raised money, you know, almost over $6,000 for the charity. So, um, it was great to be there and connect with, uh, the organization. Yeah, that is wonderful. And what is your connection to that organization specifically? And how has that been, um, been like in terms of, you know, doing something for running that's beyond more than just, you know, your own personal, own personal gain, which isn't, again, I don't say that in a derogatory sense, but, you know, just doing something for more than just yourself. Does that have an impact on you? Yes. I mean, this year I decided I did, I did two charities this year. So I'm in the process of souls for souls, which is like a shoe drive shoe collection that I've been collecting shoes for. And then also autism speaks. I felt that, um, you know, it touches my life personally. Um, I have, you know, a family member that has been diagnosed. Uh, so it was something that, like I said, I would, I would love to raise money for awareness for research. Um, and I believe they stated 85 cents to the dollar goes to research mainly for genetics on trying to figure out, you know, what's causing it, what genes causing it. And again, I'm a nurse, so I'm all about the research part of it. So, um, yeah, so this year I just wanted to give back, pay it forward, give back. And, um, it was, you know, something for me that I thought about during the race while I was struggling at the moments was, you know, you know, uh, being fortunate and, you know, that I'm here and that maybe some others can't be there. So giving back that way is always something I just decided this year to really focus on more. And the amount of high quality women at this race was just abundant. And you're going into this race, um, you know, actually knowing a lot of your competitors and a lot of your peers, what was some of your race? What was your race strategy like in terms of pacing and also who you wanted to stay with uh, during the race? Okay, so yeah, so the day before I spoke with Steve and we were deciding to go out a little conservatively for the first half um, because one, we didn't know, you know, not sure exactly how my legs would respond and why not play it safe and then, you know, dig for it the second half, go for it. Um, and then I woke up race morning and the race was completely different this year. So in the sense that last year, 
the whole group of 40 women, I think we were together for eight to 10 miles running, you know, anywhere. The first mile last year was like a 645 pace. And then it was back and forth, you know, between six minute pace and five forties. It was very back and forth this year. The tone was set right from the cannon, like, like group one went and it was ended up being like me, Alephine, um, Katie Germain, uh, and a few others, so Ali Kiefer, we kind of all hung together. And, um, and I think Kate Landau was in that group as well. Oh, yeah. Kate was too, yes. So that, that group, we all hung together and uh, worked with each other, you know, uh, blocking wind and pacing. And I don't know, probably by mile three, I decided I felt good. And this is a, there's no risk to just, I might as well just go for it and see what I can do. See if I could have a personal best, see if I can maybe get the American record for my age group. I don't know. So I just went for it. So, um, my race plan kind of changed during the race. <laughs> and when you said you were, you were feeling good, obviously this is a relative term. What, what were some of the things that you were like, when you're doing like your, your diagnostic check or body scan, what did you notice about yourself that you felt like, okay, this is going really well or, you know, what, what were just some of the things that you were noticing and what were you comparing it to? Yeah. I mean, my legs felt fresh one because they were, I mean, compared to what they've been feeling. So the taper I felt went well. Um, the weather and the conditions were perfect. I mean, a little bit of wind, but other than that, it was perfect temperatures. And, um, you know, I just felt comfortable we were grooving at like 535 to 540 pace. And, um, like I said, just when I was, my breathing was in control, I felt comfortable. I was able to take in some fluids and I just thought, you know what, why not? You know, let's see what happens. So, um, and if you don't take risks, you just don't know. So. Yeah. And I think that's kind of been like the, the theme of this, right? This, this, this endeavor. Yeah. Was this whole thing was a big, was a big risk and why play it safe? And you're the, when you're in the middle of doing something that was fairly risky. Yes. Yes. So, so as, so as you progressed to the halfway point, you were at your, I think your split was one fourteen oh two. when you came across that, what, how were you feeling and what did you think about, uh, how the rest of the marathon might progress? <laughs> so about that point, I don't know, we were going over a bridge at the halfway point and it's kind of a little steep, tricky bridge. Um, I was still feeling pretty good. Uh, then it was, you know, you start to feel a little more fatigue and Queensboro Bridge kind of broke me this time. I mean, I was able to recover, but for some reason, you know, I hit the bridge, the legs weren't moving, and Alephine and um, Katie and Gerda Stern all kind of went ahead. And they were maybe only like 20 seconds ahead or so, 15 to 20, but they did separate from me at that point. Um, and then luckily I was able to recover a little bit on first Avenue. Cause we all know first Avenue is like super exciting and loud. And I always tend to go fast that first mile off the bridge. I think most people do, even though I tell myself in my head not to. And, um, yeah, so it was about that point. And then I would say roughly mile 20, I knew that I was going to probably be hanging on <laughs> and just try to get to the finish. So, but it wasn't like I, was running eight minute pace or seven minute pace. I was still holding anywhere between five fifties, six minute pace. Right. I mean, you really only had a two minute positive split between first half and second half. And if you look at the, just the, the elite times in general, that was pretty much in line with what everyone else was doing too. Yes. Yeah. It's just not my race style. Generally, I'm usually more that negative split person. So, but again, I decided this time to do something a little different and go out a little bit more aggressively. So, um, and I think it's all like, 
uh, it's all a lesson to be learned. And also knowing it actually gives me confidence that I really do feel with fresh legs on the right course, the right weather that, you know, a, a sub 229, 228 is there. Just got to, um, but that's why you do these things you, just to see, you know, uh, New York obviously is a little bit, I would say the last six miles is a little bit more challenging than most courses. Yeah, absolutely. And as you were progressing, you know, through those last six miles, who were you around and who were you and how, what was your mindset like in terms of trying to pass people? So as I don't know, most people probably know that we start alone. So there's only 40 women to start with and you're by yourselves. Um, and then the group separates pretty quickly. So I started off with what a group of five women or so at mile seven, somewhere on first Avenue, it really separated and we were all running relatively alone. Um, so I would say the last eight miles was alone for the most part. Um, I was able to, um, coming up fifth Avenue, going into central park, I passed, I was fifth American at that time. And I did pass Katie Germain, um, going into central park. So that was the only person I passed in the last half of the race (laughs) or Saul really. So so how far out was Alephine from you? Because I know she got third American. Yeah. So I think a good, was it almost two minutes maybe? I don't know the exact times, but her and Gerda Stern from South Africa took off on First Avenue and they were able to run together. So I really didn't see them um, going up Fifth Avenue or into Central Park. I only saw Katie ahead of me. Uh, so therefore they were, they were I think, long gone. <laughs> so I think she had pretty much an even split. She was able to hold something like a one fourteen oh two, one fourteen oh eight, something like that. So I think she was a good two minutes ahead of me. Yeah. So overall, if you could do anything different in your pre-race lead up or during the race, would you? Yeah, I'm happy with it all. I mean, my pre-race lead up was fine. It was what I always normally do, um, you know, in the sense of like the resting and stuff beforehand and, um, eating well and hydrating well. I don't think I was dehydrated or anything like that. And, uh, you know what I, like I said, I, even though it wasn't what me and Steve discussed going out like a one seventeen half, I'm happy with it because like I said, I took a risk and, uh, I felt like I had nothing to lose this race. Like, so just go for it. And, um, you always learn from these things. So, um, for me and then it was also like you know do I run with a pack or do I run alone might as well run with a pack for the first 15 to 18 then run alone so uh so yeah I'm no I'm not I wouldn't take anything back now do you have any perspective on how how the marathon how the New York City marathon course compares to other marathons in terms of you know, trying to compare times. Like this is something that I think that someone like me, who's someone who follows running is really interested in it. You see the times of Chicago and you see times at other races and then you see New York and you know, it's not an apples to apples comparison, but it's hard to quantify exactly how to compare. Did you have any thoughts on that? I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've heard from others like, you know, two to three minutes roughly, but again, this is all speculation. No, I don't think there's any data out there. Um, but for me, uh, I don't know. Like, I think it's, you know, comparing it to something like, let's say, uh, Rotterdam. Um, yeah, there's more rolling hills. It's challenging. you got the bridges. Uh, you're also starting alone, you know. So these factors can all weigh in at times. But uh, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I put it up there as one of the harder courses for me. I actually consider it harder than Boston. I think people go back and forth on that one. But for me personally, it's a pretty challenging course. So. So overall, 
say one is like, you know, not happy at all. 10 is like, it, this went, this could not have gone better. How would you frame this, this, um, you know, this, uh, marathon buildup and how everything went at Doha in New York and, and everything in between? Yeah, I, I'm going to give myself a nine or 10. I mean, for me, like I said, I, I took this risk back in May. I was already, read, you know, I already had New York as my fall marathon and then asked to be part of the national team. I couldn't, I didn't want to pass up the opportunity to represent our country. And I feel like, you know, I, I took the risks and they paid off for me personally. I don't, it's not necessarily, you know, attention media wise or anything like that. It was me doing something that challenged me. You know, it was going to be a challenge. Yes. I was going to run a really hot race in Doha. Um, and look what happened. You know, I didn't know it was going to happen, but from it, it worked out really well. And now I know I can race in the heat, you know, I'm, it's like learning things, you know, and now I know I can possibly do two marathons in a you know, shorter amount of time. So, and I end up having great results from it. So yeah, there's no PRs to account for this cycle, but, um, I, I, that really wasn't the goal. The goal was to, um, do something different and challenging. And like I said, I got to represent our country at world's, and then come back to my kind of hometown marathon and, and enjoy and run a fabulous, you know, to me, it was a, it was live in the moment kind of race. Um, enjoyed every moment, tried to acknowledge all my friends on the course and people cheering for me. So. And now that you've done this amazing challenge, has it opened up new potential avenues for challenges ahead post Atlanta? Uh, I mean, right now the big, the focus is recovery and then I'm going to you know, obviously Atlanta and then, yes, after Atlanta, after the trials, depending on what happens there, um, I do my focus, you know, one of my, one of my goals coming forward in, in 2020 is to attempt to break the American record. Um, so it will be, you know, picking the right course uh, to do that at. So now that's exciting. Now, as you, as you just mentioned, and I think anyone who's followed you can probably predict this recovery is going to be a big deal right now for you, considering everything that's going on. Now, what does that mean exactly? Because you also live a pretty busy life. So how, how do you recover optimally right now? So right now, I'm two weeks of no running completely. Um, and I'm pretty much taking November as a down month. I will start running, I'm sure, after the two-week period. Um, as I discussed a little bit with Steve, I really didn't want any workouts, though, uh, in November. Uh, just kind of like get back to it lightly. I know that I'm, I already miss it, you know, but I know that it's good for my body to take the break. Um, and then, you know, other than that, I'm going to go on a little vacation around Thanksgiving time, and that's going to be a non-running vacation. Uh, and I'm pretty excited about that because I think that helps you recharge mentally, you know, doing something for yourself. Um, and I'm sure I'll run on vacation, but it won't have to be, you know, I have to get this workout in or do anything. It's definitely downtime for a month. And then I think starting in December, we will obviously, you know, have to turn around and start the start the training. So. Now, do you have any um, tune-up races in mind uh, pre uh, previous to Atlanta or coming up to Atlanta? Um, I do. I think I'm going to try to go to Houston and do the half marathon um, in January. I think that is going to be like one of the most well-attended half marathons in American <laughs> history. Yes. I mean, that's the goal. So we'll see um, if I go or not. But I mean, right now, that's what I would like to do. I, you know, obviously, it's a fast course. It would be great to see six weeks out where I'm at fitness wise, and then also maybe able to uh, touch base with Steve since he uh, lives in Houston. So it'd be nice to see him and touch base. So, 
I know, right? It's like that perfect timing before Atlanta. You also can mimic the heat a little bit and just like the, the overall conditions. I swear, I think everyone I've talked to is going to be running this race. Yeah, I mean, last year wasn't so warm. It was like 34 degrees at the start. So we'll see <laughs> what happens there. But last year was pretty chilly. So Yeah, and I shouldn't have said mimic the heat. I should have said mimic the weather because no nowhere is really that hot in January, nor is it hot in exactly. February either. But it seems like it's going to be, you know, fairly consistent with how Atlanta will be. Yeah, I would believe so. Yeah. Oh, that's really exciting. Roberta, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this journey with us. I know every time we put out an episode, so many people are interested in what you're doing and how you're doing it. So I hope November goes well and the rare um, non-running vacation. Hopefully that's great too. Oh, I, it, I definitely will be. <laughs> and thank you. I enjoy coming on and uh, looking forward to the next uh, part of the journey. All right. Can't wait. Thanks, Roberta. You're welcome. Thank you, Roberta, for hopping on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Also, thank you so much to Inside Tracker. If you are looking to get a great picture of exactly what your body needs from a nutrition and recovery standpoint, there's no better place than Inside Tracker to do just that. And you can use code Rambling Runner to save 15% on a purchase by going to Inside Tracker. Thank you so much for listening, rating, and reviewing the show. Also for sharing it on Instagram. I really and truly appreciate it. Thank you to everybody, and happy running. This has been a production of the Rambling Runner Podcast Network. Thank you to my producer, David Margetti, from InPost Media. Also thank you to Metapi for the music and his song, Evolution. Is deep. I'm a real person.